Welcome to Pitch It, the fintech startups podcast. One founder, one startup, one investor at a time. I'm your host, Todd Anderson, Chief Product Officer, Lended Fintech. On episode 30, I talk with Lorenzo Garavito of Iris. Iris is the first neobank focused on the corporate and business sector in Colombia. You know, with more and more entrepreneurs needing to operate and interact digitally, their needs have evolved and they now need digital solutions to help them move in this new world. When Iris first launched, they started with a digital business savings account that included free transactions. It was interest bearing and has no maintenance fee, which is light years different than what traditional lenders and banks would offer these either small or entrepreneurial type businesses, you know, with one or two people that might be operating at these companies. Lorenzo and I discussed what's the current state of small and medium enterprise banking or SME banking in Colombia, why they decided to launch a new digital brand, which is under the same umbrella as Don Financial, which is a more traditional looking financial services firm, how much small business commerce has changed, and so, so much more. I hope you all enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Lorenzo. How are you? Fine, fine. Thanks a lot, Todd. Thanks for having me here. Definitely great to be here after several years of listening to your podcast and attending your event. It's exciting to be part of the podcast. Well, I appreciate that. And thank you for joining me. If you could just go um, and tell the audience a little bit about yourself, you know, what brought you to where you're currently working and why did you guys, in terms of you know, your firm, launch the Iris brand? So I have a, a long career in, in investment banking, uh, started in Colombia, doing some of the first U.S. listing for Colombian companies. Then I moved to the U.S. I did my MBA at MIT at Sloan. And for 13 years, I worked in New York in a large and small investment bank, including Merrill Lynch and, and Salomon, where I actually joined in 2000. I joined the telecom group in the middle of the dot-com bust. So that was a, a very interesting experience. And, and 10 years ago, I decided to come back to Colombia I worked for a local investment bank and then with, with Scotiabank. Why I decided to join um, EDIS, actually back in 96, when I was working here in Colombia, I worked with my uh, boss then to launch a challenger bank in Colombia. And we, we actually met almost every weekend for over six months. And, and at the end, it was very difficult to get the business done because it was very, very capital intensive, right? So at that time, you had to have scale, you have to have a lot of branches all over the country. It was very difficult. So today, technology actually makes it more manageable to create a real challenger bank with a manageable investment check. So this was the, the right time. And, and during my time at, in New York, I actually worked with a lot of entrepreneurs raising private equity as well. Uh, I think the best experience was working with Brightstar. Um, I worked with Marcelo Claudio for six, seven years doing several deals. And and, and it's very inspiring and, and I really wanted to do it. And well, two years ago, I met with a group of investors and we decided that was the right time to launch a challenger bank in Colombia. Tell the audience a little bit about what Iris offers and kind of who the ultimate target customer is, at least today. 
Edis is a bank focused on the SME market in Colombia. So it came together as we got together with a group of investors in 2019, just because we all had different experience in having difficulties raising money for a small business. Myself on the advising side, but the other two groups really on the principal side, and they had very hard time raising money for the small business. So we decided to launch a challenger bank focus on the mid-market. And we really saw an opportunity because as I think it happens in most part of the world, the SME market falls into either the small size of the corporate banking or the office and, and the, the personal banking. And none of the two are really equipped to deal with the specific issues of the small bank. So if you're in the personal banking, they don't know all the products. If you're in the corporate side, they're focusing on larger transactions. And the SME market, which is key in every economy, is really lost in most of the financial institutions. So is there a typical SME that kind of falls within the ERIS kind of offering, at least today? Is it a certain size company or at least certain maybe revenue numbers that would say, all right, this is kind of who we're looking at, to at least targeting today? Our goal is to be a universal bank for SMEs. So really serve the whole market, right? We started with a savings account. We're starting with credit as well. So right now, our ideal client is SMEs with less than 40 million in annual revenues, clients that are usually unhappy with their banking relationships or are even new to the banking system. Today, we're mostly focused on services and B2B companies just because we haven't finished our payment offering and we don't have a way to collect money, for example, from credit cards. So today, is, we're not fully serving the B2C clients, but we expect by beginning of next year to have a payment solution for B2C as well. So if I'm one of these companies in Colombia today, what does the financial services landscape kind of look like for me? You've mentioned when you were talking about you know why you launched that this type of company has fallen in between. There's the banker who doesn't give it enough attention because it's not a big company. And so the bank can only make so much on it. And then you have the personal side, which many small businesses start with because they usually do a personal credit, either card or personal credit loan to kind of get a business off the ground. But is there an ecosystem for small businesses, you know, like accounting platforms, things like that, that make it a little bit easier for small businesses? Or is there a pretty big vacuum for small businesses in Colombia today? FinTech has brought a lot of companies trying to fill this space. And I think it's a very interesting change now that uh, we have several companies that are focusing on, on lending to small businesses, some companies focusing on credit cards, some companies focusing on factoring, for example. So there is an ecosystem that actually helps companies understand that being a FinTech is actually a good value proposition for the companies. We believe we are the only one who's trying to be a universal bank for small businesses. And I mean, out of the regulated companies in Colombia, the only one that's focusing exclusively on the SMB market. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk of the pandemic and its impact on small businesses and especially this segment of SMEs all over the world. Prior to the pandemic, were a lot of these companies taking cash, taking offline payments, serving maybe two, three, four communities? And has that now changed where they can put a shop online, 
People can find them all over Colombia. And has there been this big shift that we've seen in some other markets in Colombia that now a lot of these small businesses are kind of interacting digitally, not only with financial services, but with their customers for the first time? To some extent, yes. I mean, Colombia is still a very decentralized economy. You have a lot of regional markets as opposed to a lot of other countries in Latin America that is very centralized and very focused on on one single city. So the pandemic definitely helped build this uh, ecosystem of companies that are serving all over Colombia with an online presence. Um, One of the big issues in Colombia is, is the high use of cash. Pandemic has helped that both on the business side and on the personal side. So there's a good uh, success stories of digital wallets in Colombia taking a lot of market share. And that helps definitely formalize a lot of these small businesses. And, And I think that's key because the government offered significant help to companies, but they have to be formalized. And I would say still 40% of the economy in Colombia is is informal, but you have that push to being formalized and having the advantage of having a banking relationship, being able to receive government subsidies and help with employee costs. The pandemic accelerated that process here in Colombia. Now, what about like, you know, accepting digital payments? You You mentioned potential factoring companies that are out there. How economical is it for small businesses? You mentioned 40% are still informal. Is part of that because the economics of taking, whether it be digital payments or accepting payments in a digital wallet is just not there? Are there high fees that come associated with them? You know, How does that landscape look if a small business is saying, all right, I might accept digital payments, but if I'm you know, losing 8 9 10%, on to accepting a payment, does it make more sense to me to remain as part of the informal economy? The biggest issue on why companies decide to, or small or personal companies that decide to stay informal, I think it's more regarding taxes and labor costs, which is really heavy in Colombia in, in different aspects, not only income tax, but you have the city taxes and all that that makes it difficult. So, so I think that's a big issue and the government is trying to address that by helping small companies pay a fair amount of taxes instead of high taxes that they have today. But in terms of financial cost, I think companies are realizing the advantages of having, especially digital wallets and during the pandemic were very, very useful in order, I mean, everybody was getting delivery and you don't have a formal system. Uh, people were getting their personal accounts and through digital wallets, were getting all the payments in place. So people are, are understanding that having of banking presence is important to build the credit culture and your credit score to be able to grow in, in the future. So it's expensive. And yes, especially for SMEs in Colombia, banks tend to charge for everything, right? So you get a fee for having an account. And then if you want to access the premium portal, you get another fee and every transfer is a, another fee. And But we're changing that. And I think together with other fintechs, we're bringing the cost to the right level. Does it make small businesses, I guess, nervous or scared of potentially going with a digital platform or a digital bank like Iris that they will end up you know, kind of in the government's line of sight in terms of taxes or are the two not related? And so if I'm a small business, 
All right. I'm staying informal because of the tax situation. I know the government's trying to help, but you know, if I access the digital economy with an Iris or another platform, you know, will I then be in front of the government and I'll hit that issue? Like, is it stopping you guys from growing and getting your services to the small businesses that you're hoping to get to? In some sense, yes. Here, all transactions have to be reported to the tax authorities, right? So at the end of the year, we have to send the report on all the ID numbers that have done business with us and what's the movement, right? So those clients have to decide if they only will transact in cash or if they will accept transfers of even credit cards or other forms of payments, they're going to have to be formalized. So I think that technology is moving towards uh, having all the economy formalized. And right now, for example, the digital invoices is obligatory in most of the for most of the companies in Colombia. So you're starting to get that process by, by the government that everybody needs to be formalized. As I said, some with helping the government, helping on some of those issues there. It's getting there. And I think companies are realizing there's a big advantage of being formal. I mean, you, you have a cost, yes, but there's also big advantages. How encouraging or, or accepting is the government generally with fintech? Are they supportive of the idea of fintech and bringing more people, not only the tax issue, but just bringing more people into a digital economy, especially as we begin to come out of COVID? And what's their kind of general stance on fintech, not only for small businesses, but just the general atmosphere there? The government is is very open. Actually, we had to have a full process with the regulator in order to have a digital-only account. They understood exactly what we were doing, uh, why we wanted to do it, and they were very helpful in walking us through the process. Still a long process, so getting a banking license in Colombia takes about two years. It took us almost nine months to be able to offer a fully digital savings account. But I understand. I mean, they need to be very careful. We're dealing with savings from the public and uh, and they need to be very careful. So, And in general, the government is uh, very receptive to fintech and introducing technology to all aspects of the economy. So they have several programs to help technology companies uh, get funding, go to market and expand their product. And even the government sponsors teaching technology to high school students. So the government is looking forward to that change in in the economy. What's the best piece of advice that you've received so far in building the IRIS offering? Funny enough, I think the best piece of advice is somebody who said, look, I know you have 20 years of experience in the financial sector, but you have to forget everything you know in order to create new products for your clients. And I think it was very good advice because what we have done here at EDC is to start from the client, right? So understanding the client needs, what they want, and then created a financial product for them. I think a lot of the experience I had in the previous financial institutions where I worked is technology was used to help solve banking problems or to automate banking processes, but not really to solve client issues. What we're doing is really focus on the client and then build whatever operation we need to build to accomplish those goals. So I wanted to shift our conversation a little bit. So how big is the overall team at Iris today? Is everyone same location, office? Are you distributed, working from home still? Tell us a little bit more about the team that you're growing over there. 
At Edis, when I joined a couple of years ago, there was a team of about 150 people. Today, we're going to finish the year around 240. Hopefully, by the end of next year, we're going to be around 300. It's a good team, and, and um, we're mostly working from home. We have a few offices that are open to the public under the Dan name or original name, and they have to be, of course, in the office, but most of the team is working online. And we had a long history because our headquarters are in Medellin, but some of the key people are in Bogota as well. So, so we were used to working with video conferencing and, and remote, and people really did very well. We, we had basically a weekend to get everybody home, every, everybody's computer uh, at home, and everybody set up working from home. And, and I think our productivity has remained basically the same. And today, what we want to do is, is give people the flexibility. In cities like Bogotá and Medellín, where you can take anywhere from 45 to an hour and a half to go from home to the office, it really doesn't make sense to, to go to the office every day. It's too big of a cost for the employees. So, so we're giving every team the flexibility to do what's best for them. So some are choosing to go once a week, once every two weeks. We're adapting, even we're changing our office space to accommodate the flexibility of having teams there uh, in and out. Culture-wise, you know, how is it different from building a, a digital-only brand from, say, what you've previously worked at, not only in banking, but you, know, you mentioned when you were thinking of the idea many, many years ago about that branch network. How different is the culture from that more traditional financial services type company to an all-digital company? Do you have former bankers that might be working with you? How big of a culture shock is it for them to come into an all-digital type company versus where you know they might be coming from, which is traditional banking? We are one single company with two brands right now. So we have Financiera Dan, which is a traditional brand that has offices and works physically with teams and has been working with customers for 25 years. And now we have EDs as a new brand. So I think the first thing is a little bit to explain why we chose to have those two brands and then how they're interacting. The decision was relatively simple and, and we wanted to have a fresh start in the banking world here in Colombia. I remember when, when I was working at Seed in the Telecom Group, uh, we, we saw the launch of Orange in the UK. And as a naming, it was a big shock because all the cellular companies were called Telecom or Sell something. Or, and we wanted to have that same impact in the banking sector. So, so that's why we chose a name that doesn't have bank in its name and doesn't have a location, which is the common thing in almost all financial institutions. So we chose EDs, and we like to say it in Spanish first, because if you say it in English, I think people think we're coming from Ireland. <laughs> we want to say it in Spanish. And, and EDs in Spanish is a, is a female name. It reflects the warm and friendly culture we're bringing to the banking industry. But also, same as in English, Iris is part of the I. So we also want to be the eyes of the SME with respect to the financial situation. And I think that the, the other choice we made at the beginning was we wanted to have a single team working on both brands, as opposed to a lot of challenger banks that created separate teams for the challenger bank and they keep the old team in the old bank. We decided that we wanted to have a single team and we wanted to be a single company. And the issue of culture um, has been very relevant because a lot of the new employees are coming from non-banking sector, right? They're mostly technology or developers. 
and they come with a very different speed of working, right? Of course, we have to adapt that to a regulated environment, but that has given us, or the Dan team, let's say, a first raw view on how different it is to launch digital products and how fast they can move. So the team that has been with us for a long time is learning bit by bit on, on how to speed up the processes, how to put the client focus at the center of the of everything that they do. And that's why we wanted to have a single team because we wanted also the clients of Financiera Land to feel that this is a different company, that this is a different focus and everybody's changing for the benefit of our clients. This is just more of a thinking question, I guess, for you and the others in leadership positions, but how, how do you help ensure that you don't fall behind? I mean, it feels like fintech is moving so fast, especially today. And uh, it's hard to keep up. I find myself falling behind pretty quickly at times. But you know, as someone who's building a company and helping to build a company, how much do you have to do to ensure, all right, we have what we need to, and we're keeping an eye on, on maybe what's coming? It's hard. I agree with you because things are changing very quickly and, and new products are coming all, all the time. So we need to focus on what's important for our clients, but we have to remain flexible. I mean, I think the pandemic actually increased that a lot, but information is out there. There's a lot of information about what's going on in, in other parts of the world and what other firms and successful firms are doing in other parts of the world. So you have to spend time reading, listening to podcasts, attending events like yours. And Twitter for me is, is a good tool. I follow a lot of the fintech people there in order to learn what's going on. But then the second choice is what do we bring to our clients? And there you have to be very strategic, but also very flexible. So, so we have our plan very well established for the next six, nine months. We have a very good idea of what we want in the next 18 months but we're flexible. So the next nine months are very set in terms of what we're doing because those things we have to start right now in order to, to have them accomplish in, in that time frame. But, but then the rest, we continuously evaluate what we're thinking and bringing ideas from different places so we can, uh, we can be flexible and, and bring whatever is best for our client. We have uh, just a, a few minutes left. I like to end uh, a little lighter uh, with some fun. Do you have a favorite book and the last book that you read? I actually like a lot this book called Nudge on behavioral economics. And I like it because I really think behavioral economics is changing every industry and even changing our, our society. I think one of the big discoveries of the last 20, 30 years is understanding that most of our decisions are not rational decisions. And, I, and not only that, but people can influence the way we make decisions and and we don't even notice how they're influencing that. So there's a lot of risks there, but are also a lot to learn. And in terms of the latest books, I, I read a lot of fiction. I've been focusing on a lot of some female uh, Latin American authors that are doing great things recently, especially in a genre that, that is not common in, in Latin America, which is Gothic or horror literature. And so I can recommend Mariana Enriquez and Samantha Schwebling from Argentina and Silvia Moreno in, in Mexico. They're doing great things in a style that is not very common in, in Spanish. I assume your favorite sport is probably soccer, but <laughs> I never like to assume because I've heard some strange sports uh, in talking to founders and, and those working at companies. So is soccer your favorite sport? If not, uh, what is your favorite sport? 
Well, I actually like squash a lot, and and uh, and recently <laughs> Colombia had a player that went to the top four in, in the global rankings, uh, and now there's a Peruvian player as well in the top ten, and and I think it's a very exciting place in squash right now in in Latin America. In soccer, yeah, I do follow soccer right now. Is we're in the qualifying matches for the World Cup and Colombia is in the verge of making it or not. So we're all nervous about the next few matches. And then final question, what's your biggest inspiration in life? The most important influences in your life come when you're starting to be an adult. And in my case, I had two big influences at that age. Uh, one is the writer Borges from Argentina and, and the other one was my French teacher. Both were really universal people. And that's, I think, what I admire the most about them is that they have a very diverse set of interests and they were able to combine them to have a complete view of, of society. And that's my goal. Well, Lorenzo, I, I greatly appreciate you giving me a few minutes. I really had uh, fun talking with you. I wish you and the team at Iris continued success. Hopefully at some point in the future, we can get you back. But thank you very much for joining me. Thanks so much and a great opportunity to talk to your listeners. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Pitch It, the FinTech Startups podcast. I encourage you to take a few minutes to write a review or rate the episode. Ratings and reviews both help us to improve the show for future episodes. If you're interested in learning more or would like to be considered for a future episode, please reach out anytime to Todd, T-O-D-D, at lendit.com. And until next time.